Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and uh, we are officially in June now, which is my favorite month, and not just because it's my birthday, okay? It is just an awesome month all around. Berries are cheap. Flowers are out. Days are long. Don't even try to fight me on it. I don't care. You can write to me, whatever. June is the best. All right. That said, later on for our inbox, we have a girl who admits she is more introverted than the guy that she is dating. And as someone who needs alone time, how can she balance needing to recharge uh, with still going out with him on a frequent basis, which he seems pretty interested in doing. So uh, one of our staff members is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Caroline Neuheiser and Cheryl Marshall are the authors of the book, When Words Matter Most. And they're going to talk about how you can use your words to help others, whether that is in conflict, in confrontation, in encouragement, in grief, a lot of opportunities for that. And so um, uh, make sure you stay tuned for that. Okay, here we are for our roundtable, and this week uh, is part one of a conversation that will be two parts, because there's a lot to say here, on the concept of the impact that your family has had on you, how you show up in relationships, uh, some of the behaviors you have, some of the attitudes you have, good and bad. And so we're going to break it on down and uh, talk with a great group of folks. We have Josh, Glenn, and Brittany here. Hey, y'all. Hey, Lisa. Hi. All right. Well, this is going to be good. I love, um, in, in thinking of this, I wanted to preface with those of you that are listening that, you know, we think of like, oh, your family of origin and everyone immediately thinks like, I need to get into hardcore counseling and unpack all this. And some of you probably had great upbringings, but the fact is, regardless of whether it was good or bad, it influenced you. <laughs> and there are things maybe that you don't even know about, ways that it influenced you that it might be helpful for you to be aware of as it does impact the way you relate to others, the way that you're going to date and move into marriage, um, the way you do conflict and, and stuff like that. And so, um, all right, I want to get to our panel here because I want each of you to share a little bit of your own story and the context from which you're going to be coming in this. So maybe, Josh, why don't you start us off? Yeah, um, so my story was a little more tumultuous. I had uh, an upbringing where my dad was very quiet often, very passive, and and then the things would kind of simmer inside of him and then explosion. Um, and th so that was that was kind of the way in which he handled life. Uh, and while my mom, on the other hand, was it was explosive all the time. Mm -hmm. I really don't remember a whole lot of days growing up where there wasn't a loud volume in our home uh, between the two of them. And where that translates just real practically was in my first year of marriage when I was just starting to get to like a three on the Richter scale of, <laughs> of a conversation. My wife grew up in this home where there was no her, – her dad never raised his voice. And so she was just melting down and like shutting down um, when I'm just like getting started. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even <laughs> mad yet. I'm just like yeah. – I'm just passionate, you know. Yeah. And so um, – that that definitely affected me because normal for me was aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. All right. Glenn, how about you? I had a really positive experience growing up. My parents both loved the Lord. Um, but any any home is imperfect. Mm -hmm. uh, we're broken people. We need the grace of Jesus Christ. So there certainly were some things that I would say 
had a, a negative impact. Let me just mention one of the things that had a positive impact, and maybe this depends upon the individual, but uh, it was just recent fresh in my mind because we went to a graduation last week. My niece graduated from Auburn University, and my wife, during the commencement, kind of turned to me and, and sister and brother-in-law and said, uh, you know, he kind of does this because his mom did, and she wasn't saying it in an in unkind <laughs> way, but I was kind of clapping for particularly those people who weren't getting any applause, mm, and he mm-hmm. said, that's his mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mom, would she would clap for all 4,000 of them, <laughs> l- lose her hands in the yeah. process, but that was uh-huh. just her, her desire to show kindness and love to everyone. Mm-hmm. I would say the challenging areas were, because of the desire to be a servant, sometimes our own interests, our own needs were kind of put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Where scripture says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. For mom, maybe in particular, it was look for out for others' interests and maybe not as much for your own. Interesting. Okay. Brittany? Yes. For me, um, I, kind of similar to Glenn, had a very positive environment um, during my upbringing. So both of my parents actually left the corporate world when I was born practically to start their own businesses in hopes to just be there more for me as I grew up. So they were always my biggest supporters at every sports game, performance, award ceremony. Mm-hmm. They were my biggest cheerleaders. And I it was a Christian environment my whole life um, that kind of just led me to always feel like I could go to them for anything, be really open with them. And so overall, it was a very positive relationship and upbringing with my family. Yeah, that's good. Um, And I think uh, for me, uh, it's interesting because a lot of this I feel like I've discovered in recent years. Also, my parents um, loved the Lord and certainly loved me. And I always felt that. And I always feel for my friends that have voiced that they grew up not feeling loved or not feeling, um, almost feeling senses of abandonment or neglect, you know, in some circumstances. I never felt that. My patterns were more um, just assumptive of, I think, my just the way my parents, you know, acted, maybe what they'd taken in from their own parents and kind of this idea of like, well, it just is what it is, or this is how I am. Like, I never saw my parents go to like a parenting seminar or be like, we need to do this better. So as a result, I would say there were a lot of patterns of passivity in my family, which would come across positively because we seemed to be really easygoing. We were the people that invited people over. We were super friendly. But what I'm noticing now in life is um, that translated to passive aggressive behavior in conflict. Um, I would be the person, I'm sure all of you will be shocked to know that I would try to like address a conflict through a joke and just hope that someone would pick up on the fact that I was actually being serious and trying to address something. And then I'm like Mm -hmm. mad at people when they don't pick up on it. I'm like, um, you should have gotten that. And then they're not changing, you know, their behavior, which obviously I know exactly what their behavior should be and why aren't they doing it. So a lot of weirdness, um, a lot of weirdness in that. And also a kind of a culture of we are Christians and this is how we act and you need to show up in this way. And there wasn't a lot of realness or a lot of emotion or a lot of back and forth in that. So uh, kind of interesting. So what would you say? Okay, let's talk about, um, I know, Glenn, you kind of alluded to this. Any, you know, what what would you say in particular are things that you have noticed now later in life that you have had to actually divert course on or or work on to be like, 
here are some great things that I, I took in, but here are some things that weren't so great. And I've actually had to shape um, my own experience and, and the way that I relate to others as a result. I'm recovering from being conflict avoidant. Okay. Um, it's easy just to kind of let things slide, just to kind of maybe, if I'm unhappy with it, to kind of simmer, stew yeah. on it. So the importance of being able to give voice to it, especially doing it early. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm an individual who gets loud, mm. um, but if I if I don't deal with it early, it's easy for it to turn into a resentment, yeah. and it's just kind of a, a stewing. So just the importance of being able to be honest, letting somebody know. I mean, balance is so important because, mm-hmm. yeah, there are going to be times where somebody may say or do something that I'm not happy about, mm-hmm. but can I be honest with them and just be truthful about the way it comes across, the way it feels? Yeah. Uh, for me, at least, um, my mom definitely had the stronger personality and always needed to be in control. So she was the planner and just wasn't always the best with change, I feel like. So now I definitely struggle with that. I've seen her ways of just always needing everything to be in order. Mm. And so now I am not the most flexible person. Mm. And so that's definitely something that I have wholeheartedly carried with me. And I'm constantly having to work to be open to change and be patient and let the Lord work without stressing about every little thing. Mm-hmm. I like, too, how, you know, and, and we'll probably get more into this, Brittany, but talk a little bit about what you've shared about just almost like too much of a good thing in your relationship with your parents, because I think a lot of young adults mm-hmm. with the way they um, show up in relationships will be able to relate to that. So my parents are my best friends. I've pretty much always said that. I'm very close with both of them. I talk to them both pretty much every day. Talk to my dad about sports. Talk to my mm-hmm. mom about work. They have their certain topics and they get and all the updates. This is not living with them. You're not even in the same no, state. No, not You're the still... same state. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't lived in the same state for five years now. So <laughs> long distance parent-child relationship. One of the main ways I have seen my reliance on them come to light is in my relationship with my boyfriend, Nathaniel. I call my parents for everything, not only to update them, but to ask them a bajillion questions just about my everyday life. And so an example is the other day, my TV wasn't working and my boyfriend Nathaniel was over and he's literally on the floor with cords all over, turning it on, turning it off, trying to fix it. And I'm sitting on the couch and I start FaceTiming my dad and I'm like, hey dad, (laughs) can you help me try to fix this as Nathaniel's on the floor, you know, trying everything. Basically doing that. Yes. And so after that whole experience and my TV was fixed, thankfully, by both team effort, my dad and Nathaniel, um, Nathaniel talked to me and was just like, hey, you know, I really think it would be nice if you had a little bit of trust in me and kind of let me take the reins on this mm-hmm. and, you know, ask me first. I'm right here. Your dad is thousands of miles away and I'm here to help you. So cool. maybe you can rely on me. I feel like I just need to give Nathaniel props for even addressing that mm-hmm. in that manner. I mean, yeah. that's like, that's better than probably 80% of the people that I know in, in actually bringing up an issue in the moment rather than keeping accounts and letting things Or just fester. reacting to it. Yeah, yeah. or mm-hmm. getting all weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, I think 
Uh, I mentioned a little bit about just our first year of marriage, but in addition, I think there's this the sense it's an unloving tendency in people who tend to escalate quickly to assume the worst. Mm. When you can get to the worst place in your mind, it's easy to react to that. And so I think for me, one of the learned behaviors that I am trying to repent of is not assuming the worst, mm-hmm. that that when something doesn't quite go the way I hoped it would, whether it's in marriage or, or elsewise, it's not jumping to the conclusion that someone had a wrong motive, um, the worst case scenario that they were trying to hurt me or wrong me, and therefore not react as if that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that I, I've definitely picked up on in, in my upbringing. Yeah, that's so interesting. I would say for me, one of the manifestations was in conflict because my mom, we would um, bicker, bicker, fight, whatever. And then my mom would just lay the hammer and be like, well, let's just drop it. So I realized I never got to the point where I was practiced in actually working through a conflict and getting to resolution or being, it was always just, you tried to say something and whether you exploded about it or not, you eventually just dropped it Mm -hmm. and you eventually, and then you were supposed to just circle back around and quote unquote, forget about it and then just pick up like nothing ever happened. And so, um, and my dad was a little more like, um, kind of what Josh, you're describing in the escalating a little bit, which was weird because he was a super um, gregarious, kind of chill guy in the sense of like loved people and everything. But he would kind of be, um, for lack of a better term, kind of irrational in the way that he played things out. And because I'm super rational, I would just fight him on stuff. And then that never went anywhere. So just this sense of like, nothing Mm -hmm. is ever move to a conclusion nothing is ever resolved nothing resolved so yeah hopefully someone you know heard me when i yelled about this because we're not going to actually assert anything and it'll just come back probably next week in the same conflict over and over again so that's a really a really good point as far as that goes so what would you say i mean just a, a follow-up question on that is, is there anything that you thought or that as you've tried specifically relating to people like stuff that you you know, it doesn't have to be like terrible, but just stuff that you thought was normal that you realized, oh, actually, this is an area that I could grow in or or are there ways um, kind of, I guess, in tandem to that where you've seen yourself in a relationship or in a scenario where you've had to pivot because either someone else's issues are pressing up against you or it's just come to a, a point where all of a sudden you're having to accommodate someone else. Because, I mean, if we were the only messed up ones and everyone else was healthy, well, that'd be awesome. They could just (laughs) deal with us. But um, the problem is we're all sinners, and so we have to work this out. I would say one thing for me was that um, I didn't have to be in church every time the church doors were open. I mean, Hmm. growing up, I did. Who says? (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, and that doesn't mean, I mean, cause you can always swing to the other end of the spectrum and say, Hey, you know, whatever, whatever's comfortable, whatever I enjoy. Um, that's what I'll be involved in if, if I feel like it type thing, Yeah. but it can be very easy to go to the one end. If I'm, if I'm really being a servant of Jesus Christ, then I need to be doing everything I possibly can. And if there's something mm-hmm. on the schedule that the church has <laughs> and I'm not doing it, I guess I'm not doing everything I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's real easy to burn out in that way. So that's something that I think, 
you know, just a realization that balance can take place in that. I can look at it and pray and seek God's wisdom as far as what I'm involved in, what I say yes to, as well as what I say no to. Yeah, that's so funny. I actually have a low-grade anxiety if I stop at the grocery store after church. Because for me growing up, it's like, unless you're getting a prescription or I don't even know what the other contingents was. You don't Life shop <laughs> on Sundays. Yeah. And it's just so funny. It's it's hard to let go of because I, I think like, oh, yeah, you know, what about that? What am I? So. Since I've been in my relationship, I think, I well, I've always looked at my childhood as probably being a little too perfect. Like <laughs> when I look back at it, I forget that they're actually, like you were saying earlier, Glenn, like there's problems in every family and everyone is a sinner and so of course no family is perfect but I kind of glaze over that so when I talk about the future with Nathaniel I'm like okay this is how it's gonna be like we're gonna have family game nights every week and this and this and this and he's like okay like you doesn't have to perfectly match what your childhood was like your future doesn't have to be like what your parents did practically Mm -hmm. and so Going away from that is definitely something that I'm having to work through is Mm -hmm. kind of changing my point of view on I don't have to do the exact same things and follow the exact same steps. Mm -hmm. Isn't it funny, though, how assumptive you are that I mean, I I can't even tell you how many times I have to stop in my day and realize, wait, everyone doesn't do that that way. I mean, and it's like you read about this all the time. You you come up against this all the time. But I still am surprised every time. Like, that person doesn't think that way on that issue. Or they don't do that habit that way. Or yeah, it's really uncanny to me. Yeah, so I think for me, the one of the key things that I thought was normal was that birthdays are not that big a deal. Hmm. And... <laughs> That apparently is not the normative uh, belief system out there, that birthdays are not a big deal. Uh, And and I learned that with my wife. But I often thought just growing up, the way we experienced birthdays was, again, if 99% of the time there's an argument in the home and yelling, guess what? Birthdays fall on those days too. And so I just saw birthdays as like something to avoid. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, shoot. I'm spending most of my time trying to avoid these conflicts, therefore avoid these people. Birthdays force me together, so we need to minimize the amount of time together Mm. to avoid as much conflict as possible. Mm. And when I got married, and my wife is all into birthdays. Her family (laughs) is all into birthdays. Mm. And I'm at first, I just thought, man, that's a really self-centered thing. Like, (laughs) let's stop. And we really did. I just had this belief, like, what is wrong? And I had this pastor at the time, and he was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> God made us. He made us unique. We should celebrate life. We should celebrate one another and what he's created us to be. And he just kind of like started reworking my theology mm-hmm. in this like miniature argument. And it really did. It started reshaping how I practice birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now I look forward to them. Uh, I would say that's a real change of heart in me. Uh, that's not something I dread, but I actually look forward to. That is so funny. I just had this conversation last week with a friend of mine who was all upset because her husband doesn't value birthdays Mm. and her love language is gifts. So what (laughs) in the world? So she's actually like several times had to sit down and tell him like, I need a birthday party. I need a gift. 
I need like I Listen, I'll talk to him. Set me up after the support group. But his whole thing, again, a value that he grew up with in, in his family was frugality. Mm-hmm. And to him, it's like birthdays are a waste of money. They are kind of ridiculous. They're kind of forced. They're kind of whatever. And so let's act not. Why would that be different than any other day? Mm-hmm. So let's not worry about it. And but it wasn't. But she took that as malice towards her. You don't mm-hmm. care about me. You don't care. You're just dismissive of me, whatever. And that's not what he meant at all. So that's such a <laughs> that's such a great point. That's funny. Um, I I think one thing that came to mind because it just cropped up this morning is um, I think of myself like I'm the uh, in my family. I was always the good soldier. So where other people could flake out or could fall apart or whatever. I always had to show up, do the right thing, tell other people like, okay, here's what we can do, move everyone forward. And it's so funny because even now, I, I even told my coworkers today, I'm like, I don't even know, maybe God just cannot even get me married because I would be like a full-on 12-step program if this had to happen. <laughs> because even with my housemate, who is a dear friend of mine, we had these like leftover like strawberries that were they either needed to be cut up and used or they were going to go bad now i also am frugal and i'm like i actually bought these strawberries so i'm like oh those are not going to get wasted so i think it was yesterday where i mentioned to her you know uh again passive aggressive we quote air quotes need to cut these strawberries which really i meant like you need to cut these strawberries because i bought them and i've already prepped some other food and whatever so there's a whole backstory to that Anyway, so she's like, oh, yeah, we should. So then this morning, <laughs> I'm up because she's not even up. Like, hello, are you going to work or what are you doing? So I'm getting ready for work. And I just self-righteously stood in the kitchen and cut all those strawberries because they needed to be cut. But you know that I want her to see them and see that I cut those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, it's again, me manifesting the whole Lisa's got to save the day because Lisa shows up and Lisa does what what's need to be done. Good and, soldier. you know, I'm going to write a, I'm going to, you know, write some kind of an essay about it to make sure that she knows and stuff. So anyway, just a, a craziness around that of, of where that comes out. And immediately I was like, this is ridiculous. I need to not do this. Um, Anyway, so, all right, well, let's go ahead and wrap it. We are going to continue this conversation next week, y'all. If you would be willing to hang around, we're going to actually talk um, next week, you guys, about what do you do to even recognize some of the patterns in you? Like if you're just clueless, frog in the kettle, how can you go about exploring some of this and and learning uh, to do this? And then how can we make some great steps to move beyond towards greater health and relating to people, understanding people? So uh, we'll maybe share some down and dirty uh, tips and tricks.
Well, folks, we're here for this week's culture segment and uh, two authors and experts on the line today for you uh, for the conversation that we're going to have today. I have uh, Caroline Neuheiser and Cheryl Marshall. Hey, ladies. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to have you here. And um, well, we're going to be actually talking about, we were talking a little bit before we started taping about um, the ministry that they do and the book that they have uh, that's uh, pretty new here. It is titled, When Words Matter Most, Speaking Truth with Grace to Those You Love. And you know that we here at The Boundless Show are not strangers to personal growth and hard conversations. And I'm always telling y'all, you know, you need to go after this and ask people for good feedback and find those wise mentors and such who can speak into your life. So that needs to be happening. If we all just did this, it would probably be a lot easier. But sometimes you really need to kind of step in and go after people and and have these conversations. And so um, both Caroline and Cheryl are excellent at this um, in their own ministries in their own churches. Uh, Caroline is a counselor, speaker, author, blogger. Cheryl also speaks a fair amount, author. She's a Bible study teacher, um, currently serving as the director of women's ministries at her church. And, uh, and so you guys really bring a wealth of experience, and we're so privileged to to learn from you today. And so, you know, just again, our thanks collectively from here at Boundless to you. Um, Okay, so the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, we want to start talking, and and I think it's fascinating that the book doesn't just cover hard conversations in the sense of like, you know, confronting someone or rebuking someone or whatever. But I do want to start out with that, um, because that's kind of where a lot of people's heads go. It's something that we all would agree is a hard thing to do, to proactively do that for someone else, but also very (laughs) difficult to receive, I think, if we're honest. Mm. And um, I want to, you actually are very honest, both of you in the book, about times that you were confronted by a friend and what that looked like. And I mean, most people listening here would be like, what? These ladies are like in ministry and they're leaders. Surely they don't do anything wrong. So give us, <laughs> start by telling the tale on yourselves about how this played out for you. I uh, was a pastor's wife for 26 years, but I'm a quiet person by nature. And a friend of mine at the church said, Caroline, people do not know you well because you're too so quiet and you don't add a lot about yourself to the conversation, and I think you should. So I uh, took that to heart. She had good advice for me. Yeah, that's good. How about you, Cheryl? I remember a time when I was struggling with anger, but I was not calling it anger. Um, a lot of times we like to give anger other words, and I, at the time I was calling it, I was just frustrated or something like that. And my cousin, I was actually speaking with my cousin, and for many years she is spoken truth into my life, and at that point, she just really pointed out to me, Cheryl, you're angry. I'm like, I'm not angry. She's like, no, everything you are describing is anger, you know, and so I had sort of this self-righteous view of my position of the situation I was in, and uh, just talking through that was very helpful, even though it's not what I wanted to hear at the moment, and, um, you know, when you call something what it is, then you're able to start to deal with it. And so that was pretty pivotal at that point in my life. 
Yeah, that's good. I think it, I mean, isn't it so true? And, and we see this among Christians, you know, a lot. We, we get into our small groups or our Bible studies or whatever, and we tend to have kind of like open season on what we euphemize and call venting. And it's kind of like, you know, it might be about other people, you know, it might be about our family, it might be about friends, it might be about people that just have hurt us in some way. What does it look, I mean, obviously, there's a safe place for saying, I'm just really angry right now, or I'm so frustrated, or this person hurt me. But at what point can venting become sinful? Help us understand that, like when it kind of crosses a line. Well, for one thing, I think when um, you're venting, possibly to the wrong person, I think it you know, can turn into gossip really quickly. Mm-hmm. I think a good rule of thumb is, am I talking to someone who can truly help me solve this problem? Is this someone who is mature in the faith, someone who I know is going to bring biblical wisdom to me as I'm talking through this issue? Instead of just going out and spreading that gossip all over the place, am I being selective and keeping that circle very small, um, I think that's a very important aspect. You're right, Cheryl. Also, I think we forget what the desires of the flesh are, as they're listed in Galatians 5. And the works of the flesh include fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All these are other words that we want to avoid in our conversations. We need to be living under the fruit of the Spirit. That's, I think that's a good check on us. Yeah, that's good. You, you actually go in, uh, in the book, you kind of describe four types of people, um, and you kind of give names to them. I wanted to talk specifically about, you know, and folks are just going to have to get the book, and we'll, we'll tell you how to do that here in a few minutes, but we don't want to give all of them away. But you talk about withdrawn Wendy and then defensive Delaney. Let's talk about how these types are, you know, sometimes we can be more than than one of these people um, at different seasons in our life or whatever. But what are kind of the the unique problems that each of them face? And what is a great way for a person who is caring, whether you want to enfold them into community or whether you feel there is something that has to be addressed with them? What are the, can you describe um, each of those individuals and kind of um, what their challenges are and then how you would go about opening up the conversation with them? With, with John Wendy, um, we have to be real careful because there could be any sort of issue that's going on in her heart. But because she is withdrawing, we're really not sure. So, you know, it, it may be a sin issue that she's dealing with in her life, but it may, may also be a suffering and a sorrow issue that she's dealing with in her heart. And for some reason or another, she does not want to talk about that or particularly maybe doesn't want to talk to you about that, you as a particular person. And so I do think that there's a few things that we can learn from the principles of Scripture about how to um, minister to her. And one is, first, don't make assumptions about what she's going through. I think it's important that we believe what is best until we know more information about her. So just being careful not to make assumptions until we have an opportunity to actually talk with her and ask questions. Another thing is to be very patient and gentle with a person who is withdrawn. Sometimes we want to just rush in and fix a problem, and it's better for us to just be slow because she or he may not be ready to open up. 
and talk about the things that are hurting their hearts or that they're struggling with. And then if she's still, um, if you've had an opportunity to talk with her and she's still not opening up, that's a time that you can just remind her of the promises of God. Just saying, you know, it's okay if you don't want to talk to me about that right now, but I just want to remind you that God is faithful and he loves you and he's with you and Christ understands your heart. And just encourage her to be seeking the Lord in his word and in prayer and in the worship, you know, joining with his people in worship and, you know, encouraging her to still be a part of the body of Christ, even as she's working through these hard things. Yeah. And what does it look like? Because a lot of times we hear, again, especially if we don't know what the situation is, like what's going on with the person, where, you know, we'll often see this in terms of grief or a struggle or something of when people say, well, I don't want anyone to say anything to me. I just want them to sit with me or to be present with me. Well, how do we know? Because there's value in that as well. But when do we venture forth with words? Is there a timing issue to that or maybe a situational issue? What would be your advice? That is a good question, and it applies to our daily life. And When Cheryl and I wrote our book, we thought about this question, and we said, let's start when we approach somebody by saying, could I speak to you to help you? I have something I'd like to share with you. Is it all right with you if I talk to you about my thoughts? Hmm. And I think the attitude, like Cheryl said, of gentleness and patience is going to be key because they need to know you care. And it's uh, expressed in Galatians 6-2 where we're going to restore somebody. If anyone's caught in a transgression, restore him with a spirit of gentleness. And we have to also be those spiritual people having the fruit of the Spirit that we know that when we're also having struggles ourselves, we want somebody to be very careful. Hmm. (laughs) Like uh, Matthew 7, taking a splinter out of somebody's eye, we want to be very gentle and careful as we do it with lots of affection and lots of patience. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Caroline, since you're you know, since you're already kind of leading into this, I would love to ask you because you're a you're a Christian counselor, um, in fact, uh, teaching counseling at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. I want you to kind of describe um, the defensive person because this is what this is like where we draw straws as to who has to talk to this person. Um, no one <laughs> wants to, especially if you sense that they're defensive, and it's you know it's it's very hard to just go to a person who's defensive and say, well, the one thing you need to do is change you know no one even likes you or whatever but let's talk talk explain to that person how you know i i i think one it a lot of times we think that they might be it might be futile or they're a lost cause in that sense but what would be a good way to break down those defenses i think expressing the love that we see in the bible for christians for one another so first thessalonians one I mean, 2.8 says, we're affectionately desirous of you. We are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you've become very dear to us. And then in 11, it says, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. So there's the word exhorted, but it's also encouraged you 
and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who called you into his own kingdom and glory. So, as I said, we're having um, self-preparation as we go in, and we express ourselves lovingly and carefully, and knowing that we'll do our best, but it's not up to us to change a person's heart either. Mm-hmm. It's the Lord that has to work, so that's why we uh, begin with prayer even before we go in. Yeah. That helps our heart, and it helps. It calls on the Holy Spirit to do the work. Yeah, I think it's very easy for us um, to take on the role of, you know, Holy Spirit, where we we think, you know, we think we know what needs to happen, and, and maybe obviously everyone would hope that a relationship would be restored or that someone would grow, but um, it's really hard to wait, man. It's hard to wait for the spirit to do his work because we want to just see, we want to be the ones that say something amazing that immediately the person's like, Mm. oh my goodness, I'm so glad you said that. Now I'm going to do a 180 and just be a, be a totally different person, but that could sometimes be a little um, premature. Um, Well, I want to turn a corner here because you don't only talk about uh, difficult conversations in the sense of confrontation or having those hard kind of sharpening conversations. You also talk about um, the struggle with worry in the book and and people that um, are under the burden of worry and what words can influence them. Um, Cheryl, why don't you take this one? Because you actually claim, you know, in the book that you had quite a struggle with worry um, and really scripture helped kind of, you know, helped you dig out in that sense. Tell us a little bit about that and the the value or the, the place of God's word in helping us really gain some ground here. Yes, I can think back to a couple, actually probably three significant seasons in my life when I struggled with worry. Um, interestingly, one was probably in my teens, another bout with that in my 20s, and then in my late 30s. And uh, thinking back to the one in my teens, I had a friend who directed me to Second Corinthians 4 in the midst of that. And that chapter just transformed my life at the time. The, the Holy Spirit really used that in me just to teach me to trust Christ with my circumstances, and that as I looked to, as it says at the end of Second Corinthians 4, as you look to what is not seen, that your hope is restored, as we're looking to the promises and the truth of God's Word. And so that was really important in my life, but I think it was more in my 20s. Actually, I think when I was started attending the church where Caroline's husband is the, was the pastor, one of the pastors, that I started to understand that my worry was being fed by my thoughts, what I was dwelling on. And I would just repeat things in my mind that would cause me to feel more and more worried and anxious. And I had to come to the point of taking responsibility and just confessing that to the Lord, that He calls us to cast our cares upon Him. He calls us to, as it says in Philippians, to think on what is good and true and right. And so, again, this idea, when you start to call worry for what it really is, then you're able to deal with it biblically. And I just had to bring my thoughts into submission to God's Word. And one of the passages that Caroline and I delve into in this chapter on truth for the worried is Psalm 27. And we draw out a few things, actually about the character of the Lord, 
that helps us to overcome our worry and to meditate on that. So just that the Lord is our salvation, He is our helper, He is our good. There's so many things in this life that we think are our ultimate good, and those things will let us down, and then we feel anxious over Mm -hmm. it. But when we go to the Lord and we realize He is our portion, He is our good, then uh, then our hearts are being renewed. And so I do think the key thing is that we come back to Scripture again and again to transform our thoughts when we're dealing with worrying. Yeah. I feel like that bleeds over into the next question I wanted to ask, which, you know, either of you can can take, because you also um, really address not only worry, but the um, just the uh, I mean, it just seems like the epidemic of weariness as well. And I mean, coming off of I mean, who this applies to like 110 percent of us right now, because who you know, coming off of a pandemic, we've got total economic unrest, we've got cultural issues going on. Um, you know, many people have have had financial woes as a result of of coming out of furloughs and whatnot. Um, so let's talk about weariness because I think this is a double edged sword in the sense of we want to be that encourager to people. We want to be the person who builds other people up and who addresses that and who speaks into that. But maybe if we're kind of broken and weary and exhausted as well, we feel like, is it even worth the effort? Is this going to take so much out of me? And who's speaking into me? How can we all collectively do this better? I uh, appreciate that we're thinking of others as the same as ourselves. Hmm. We're putting ourselves in their place, which is part of what happened with the good advisors to Job. They sat in listened to him and cared for him as fellow sufferers. But the weary person still needs to go back to Scripture, as uh, Cheryl said, because it's uh, where we find our strength, the emotional, physical, and spiritual strength is all connected, and the truth of Scripture will help. And we talk about um, Isaiah 40, where we talk in that passage about the person who feels like they're faint and weary, but the Lord gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So the weariness is recognizing our frailty and just turning to the Lord and asking for help. We, um, again, 2 Corinthians 4 was one of our passages we bring people to, and it's it's a reflection on what Christ, who Christ is. And actually, um, Paul says, I just had given up in myself. In my weakness, I have to say, I have to depend on the Lord. Second Corinthians 12, <laughs> that our frailty is just has to be given up to him, and he will work through it. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, let's kind of in the last minute we have here, I just want to address the issue because I alluded to this, this idea that whether it's because of weariness, whether it's because we feel we're ill-equipped, we don't know if we have the right words, whatever, we tend to avoid these conversations just all, you know, across the board. And a lot of women will say, or men, you know, in conversations, if they're needing to to be in, in uh, deeper conversations with other men, 
they'll say like, well, don't we need to go deeper in our friendship first? Or it's not really my place to address this. Someone else will talk to this person. What, <laughs> you know, so so as a result, no one says anything. What What's your encouragement to those folks to kind of one on, you know, it, we don't have to wait for a crisis to really invest in friendships and work to go deeper with people. It's a lot easier to, to say hard things or be in hard conversations with people you know and love. And so what's your encouragement to folks really to, to see the value in cultivating this in, uh, with the relationships they have? I would encourage a person who's in that position and who's struggling with do I say something? Do I not? Um, this is too hard, or I feel uncomfortable to do that. To actually go back and read a really interesting conversation that takes place between Moses and God at the burning bush in Exodus 3 and 4, and read that passage in light of the concerns that your listener may be carrying in their heart about having a conversation with someone. You know, God went to Moses and he said, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. I want you to talk to the Israelites. And Moses basically starts to argue with the Lord and give him all the reasons why he can't do that. And through that conversation, the Lord reveals to Moses that God is with him in that calling and that Moses can trust the Lord to use his words as frail (laughs) as they may be as frail as Moses may have been at the time. He also reminded Moses that God was the one who providentially put him there and and was sending him. And so your listener may be sitting there saying, I don't want to do this, but it may be that the Lord has providentially put you in that person's life and has providentially made you aware of the need, and God has given you his truth to bring to bear in that situation Uh, We cover a few other things in the book, taken from Exodus 3 and 4, but the final thing that we do mention in God's conversation with Moses is that the Lord will provide a way for you to obey. You may just feel like this is an impossible thing to do, but you know, when God calls us to speak the truth in love, He will provide His grace and a means by which to do that. You may need to approach that prayerfully, but ask the Lord, God, how can I do this? And please give me courage to have this conversation. That's good. Well, you two, thank you so much um, for penning this book and for sharing this today. Um, I want to let folks know um, this book, which is titled When Words Matter Most, Speaking Truth with Grace to Those You Love, um, is available from us here at Boundless uh, for a gift of any amount. So if you go to boundless.org slash radio, you can search for 748. That's this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. Um, give a gift, whatever you can afford to Boundless for the work that we're already doing here to help you as you're navigating adulthood and relationships and your own faith, uh, wherever you're uh, living and working and all of that. And we will send a copy of Caroline and, and Cheryl's book as our thank you to you. So uh, again, the book is When Words Matter Most. So Caroline and Cheryl, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Let's make it count. Let's make it worthwhile. The battle is ahead. And we need to face it. No turning back. No more quitting yet. It's time. 
Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we're opening up our inbox, as we always do, where we answer one of your questions, a real-life question. And today, I'm privileged to welcome my friend Josh, who is going to answer this one. Hey, Josh. Hey, Lisa. (laughs) All right. Um, Our listener says, the guy I like is more outgoing than I am, and he keeps asking if I want to go out with him. We went out on a date just a few days ago, and I can't handle being busy with work and doing too many extra social activities. I get so nervous going out anywhere. How do I balance going out with him to show him I'm putting in effort for our relationship and yet need alone time to recharge? I think I'm going to suggest a once a week date night. Is that enough interaction? Because for me, it definitely is. <laughs> I love the question. <laughs> this poor listener. Oh, my goodness. I, I think about a couple things. One, um, Ephesians 415 says speaking the truth in love, right? We're supposed to grow up in every way into Christ. And I think initially the first thought is she's thinking tactics, right? Like she's thinking, what do I do? How, what is this a good tactic to suggest this once a week date night? I think a better strategy would be to back up and just speak the truth mm-hmm. and, and just see are they thinking about life the same? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they have totally different values on what it means to be in community and to be in a, a, a relationship that's moving towards marriage. Mm-hmm. I would have a conversation more than just tactically. I would talk about what do you want this to look like? And if he just needs to be more sensitive to her style of recharging, you know, in getting a little more uh, alone time, that's that's possible. But perhaps they're not a fit uh, because he just runs really fast and he needs somebody who runs fast too, Mm -hmm. but they won't ever know that if they don't just have an honest conversation about where they're coming from. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that. And part of it makes me wonder, like, again, we don't hear his side of it. So I'm wondering, like, is he just like suggesting dates where it's like, go, 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 Mm -hmm. like some crazy, like tonight we're doing a concert and then we're going to do an amusement park. And then we're going to do maybe a good middle road would be like, Okay, let's hang out. I mean, that clearly we're talking to an introvert here. Yes. Introverts tend to do better one-on-one mm-hmm. or in very small groups. So maybe she could suge- suggest to him, yeah, but let's maybe just like go on a hike or let's sit right. at the park or let's chill. Like, let's not have an agenda. We're not doing like a day-long mm-hmm. <laughs> festival of something. 12-hour dates. So. Yeah. So maybe it's just the expectation yep. that it's always going to be one-upping the next latest and greatest date idea. And that could be a reality that she has to voice. Yeah. And well. she, she does reference in there just being scared about going out. And mm-hmm. and I if I was sitting across the table from her, I'd want to ask, what does that mean? And yeah. and he should be asking, what does that mean? Yeah. And, and just getting to the heart of where she's at. So your suggestion is have an honest conversation with him and just level the playing field, Mm -hmm. figure out where both of you are coming from, and then go from there. Yeah. Awesome. Good thoughts. All right. Um, Well, that is it for this week's show, folks. I mean, again, we answer these questions here on the show so that you can hopefully get, as we said here, a little bit of direction, a little bit of wisdom of next steps um, for the situation you're in. And and hopefully that will be the case uh, for you, listener, who asked this question, because that was and that was a really good one. And so um, those of you who have a question that we can address, write to us at editor at boundless.org and submit your question. And maybe we'll fit it in on a future show. So otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on family. 
Hi, I'm Jim Daly. The Supreme Court will soon make a significant decision on abortion. How will this impact you? Join me and other pro-life champions, including Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, on June 14th for Focus on the Families, Sea Life 2022 live stream. Find out how you can respond to this important pro-life moment. Sign up at focusonthefamily.com slash sealife. That's focusonthefamily.com slash sealife.